Well, thank you. Thank you so much for... <laughs> Hello and welcome to Hey Arnold Hey, a uh, podcast where we talk into go into way too much detail about a cartoon called Hey Arnold, and we all find out that there's a little football head in all of us. Welcome. With me today is again Adam Samaha, and I am Corey Vaughn. Um, today we're talking about part-time friends and BioSquare. Um, lots to talk about. Real quick, um, the usual, which is please rate and review. Uh, we are on iTunes. We are also uh, at HeyArnoldHey.com. Uh, feel free to send us an email at hey.heyarnoldhey at gmail.com. Um, designed by Emily Okada. Uh, otherwise, um, I wanted to talk about something really quick that's pretty interesting. We've gotten, we got an email recently about um, the ordering of, of when, we kinda, when we choose to talk about an episode. Um, so on Hulu, they generally order the episodes based on production history. And there's several ways that the episodes are ordered, depending on what what venue you're viewing them. Um, there's production order, there's broadcast order, and sometimes there's even a third, um, like packaging order or uh, like DVD or VHS order. And it all kind of depends on different groups of people, how they kind of deemed fit for the order. So there's a really fascinating article um, on the AV club. We'll put a link uh, up to it, but a lot of times it has to do with like mid series order. So sometimes, or sorry, mid season order. Sometimes it show gets ordered mid season. And so they kind of strangely order episodes. So for example, in Hey Arnold in the first season, BioSquare and part-time friends are produced during the first season. But for, for some reason, Nickelodeon and Paramount, or Viacom, whatever the parent company was at that time, they decided to hold off on these two episodes until season three, um, which could have been done for a number of reasons. It might have been just the amount of episodes they could fit in that in that particular product or a broadcast run, and sometimes it has to do with what what the production company thinks is going to sell the brand the most, sell this like television show like not just the show but like the brand of the show what's going to get people to watch it the most during that first season and so it's possible that they just felt like these two episodes weren't the best idea for the first season i don't know who knows why but yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting i think and and if you're if you're confused like wait on my dvd it's in season three this is just the way we've decided to produce our podcast is according to the hulu list yeah broadcast the broadcast order Speaking of Hulu, um, sorry, Craig, the, sorry, the production order. Sorry, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Speaking of Hulu, uh, Craig Bartlett, the creator of Hey Arnold, uh, he set us up with Hulu, and they gave us a recording studio that happened to be infested with crickets. So if you hear that in the background, Craig it's all Bartlett Craig did Bartlett's not, fault no, and stop, Hulu's fault. Adam, stop blaming him for our problems. Our problems are our own. If you hear crickets, we're in, we're in my garage, and summertime in California means crickets and sweat. If you hear sweat dripping, it's because we're in a garage in the summer. I like the idea of it being a Hulu studio set up by Craig Bartlett a lot more. Which has nothing to do with... Anything. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? Scrap this. We're starting over. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't... Adam, stop. No, 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 no. Uh, okay. So all I have to say is um, 
the episodes we we've picked them up according to Hulu's order, which is most likely production they order. They get it. They get, you get it. it? All yeah. right, cool. No one cares besides the potato salad guy, anyways. He's the one who emailed us, and I'm just yeah. I if if he has questions, maybe other people do too. Come on, man. Yeah. Maybe. Um, okay, so uh, first episode is part-time friends, which I'll give a quick summary. Um, Arnold and Gerald are in desperate need of money. Uh, not really; they're just getting bored of kicking a can around. Uh, so they decide to take uh, part-time jobs at Mrs. Vitello's uh, flower shop. Um, and very quickly, they both show a lot of promise and, uh, Mrs. Vitello pays them and says, you guys did a great job. And then moments later, she like slips on a puddle of, you know, moss water and breaks her back, uh, and has to delegate roles to Arnold and Gerald while she, you know, goes to bed rest for a week. Um, and she right away says, Arnold, you're, uh, great with flowers and great with, um, creating uh, arrangements so you'll be in charge of the uh the greenhouse side of the flower shop and uh then she says to gerald you're great with organization and great with numbers and great with dealing with customers so you can deal with the the actual shop itself and you can be in charge of that uh so uh, kind of what unravels is gerald gets a big head and uh really leans into being the boss uh and arnold you know He's doing some he's doing some great stuff in the back, but he gets definitely bulldozed by Gerald's uh, need for um, productivity. He, he what what happens is a lot of um, like economic references. Uh, you know, Gerald gets a buys a copy of Big Business magazine and gets all these ideas for productivity and making money. And he you know gets very greedy, wants to sell a dozen roses for like three hundred dollars each. Uh, and Arnold, you know, eventually gets fed up. He's getting yelled at by Gerald a lot. And there's conversations of quality versus quantity. And, uh, Arnold makes a mistake where he, this very good comedic moment where he drops off a, uh, a congratulations wreath to a funeral home and a sympathy wreath to a, uh, mother with newborn twins. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand. Don't worry. I'll get on that right away. Arnold! I just got a call from the D'Amato family. Yeah, I just delivered their arrangement to them. It said, good luck written in carnations. The D'Amato's ordered a sympathy wreath. Oh, that explains that guy chasing me. Arnold, you've messed up the entire customer-client continuum. If you delivered the D'Amato's the good luck wreath, then who got the flowers they ordered? Honey, I swear, I didn't send this. You never loved me, you bum. Hey. Don't blame everything on me. And that actually, uh, you know, pushes Gerald to uh, Gerald and Arnold to do the whole you're fired. You can't fire me. I quit. Well, I fired you first. That kind of whole um, sitcom trope. And Arnold goes out and slams the door. uh, And he then it it cuts back to um, Arnold's house and he's sitting at a chess table. um, Not chess, checkers table in his room looking dejected. His grandpa comes in, tells him this story about um, a friend that he lost over a similar situation uh, and they reference the port of duty scandal of 1926 which is a great line that I love so much uh, but the you know the moral of the story is uh, grandpa kind of says this is a this is a mis- like an unfortunate situation that that brought about a lot of stubbornness and misunderstandings um, and because of it I've, I haven't seen my friend in 70 years uh, which is you know causes Arnold to be sad and 
but at the same time kind of goes, well, whatever. Uh, and then he falls asleep and in normal Harold fashion has a dream that, uh, reveals something deeper about what's going on. Uh, and it cuts to like 50 years in the future, 60 years in the future. And Arnold and Gerald randomly meet each other on a bus and they argue about nothing. And then Gerald says, I don't even know what this argument's about. Why are we mad at each other? And Arnold says something stupid. I don't know. And then you see grandpa is this like decrepit old 160 year old man. And it, it's actually really horrifying. He kind of looks like the crypt keeper, if you know that that looks like. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and he starts laughing this like evil laugh. Uh, and then his jaw breaks off <laughs> like, like rotten skin. And Arnold wakes up and realizes, Oh, I don't want that to happen to Gerald and me. So he runs back to work that next morning. And, um, Gerald's in over his head. They're angry customers. And, uh, he, Gerald's in the back saying, I don't know what to do. And Arnold runs back and they kind of apologize and realize this is not the way to be friends. Let's, let's try this again. And that, and then the episode kind of wraps up the two of them walk it back into the store to, you know, work, work together and make it right. And that's, that's the episode. Did I forget anything major? No, that was, that was pretty much it. Cool. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty much like a simple, like falling out sort of friendship thing, mm-hmm. bit little bickering. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good episode. I think there's like a few different things that I read from it. Um, uh, me being me, I uh, looked for the Marxist, potential Marxist qualities within it. <laughs> um, and I think actually there's it, it shows like a really good dynamic. Um, like at the beginning of the episode, there's a scene where the, what's the old lady's name? Who's shop? Miss, Mrs. Vitella. Mrs. Vitella. It's her shop and she's like training them and she's showing them how to cut, uh, the plants and you see, uh, Gerald and he like cuts them very quickly and is done. And, and, very, and does a good job. Does like a good job. Good, it's just yeah. systematic. And then you have Arnold in the background, like making a sculpture out of the yeah, yeah, plants. Yeah. So you notice kind of right off the bat, there's like a difference in the way that they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And that manifests later on and like grows and, acu- and mm-hmm. gets worse and worse. And you see that uh, Gerald has this very like, yeah, like bourgeois business mentality Mm -hmm. of uh, we got to get this thing done. We have to maximize our profits and our time and there's no waste and there's no room for our our, like artistic endeavors or really like seeking any sort of personal value out of your work. It's just really get the thing done and give it to the customer and let, let it be done essentially. And there's and then you have Arnold who's on the other side of that where he fi- he moves at a very slow pace sort of a human pace almost not like a machine's pace sure. and he's not terribly efficient but he's very very good and meticulous and he views like the creating the bouquets and making the sculptures as like an art and he re- refers to it as such hey don't blame everything on me you're the one who's marching around here giving orders like like you're Napoleon or something well if you had your way You'd work on one flower arrangement all week. So? So? Look at this, man. This is art. Oh, no, you're wasting flowers, you're wasting time, and most of all, you're wasting money. And what I think is kind of interesting about that is that there's this idea, I think, oftentimes that... Um, that physical labor and like an artistic endeavor can't go hand in hand. It shouldn't go hand in hand. And that that is not really lost on the craftsperson themselves or the person doing the craft mm. or making the thing, but it's lost on the owner. So the capitalist or who, whatever you want to call that person, the business owner, because their eye, unless the business is structured in an artistic format, you know, doesn't view that, um, as really an integral, important part of the process. Mm. And Marx calls that alienation. And there's many different forms of alienation for Marx. 
Uh, but one of them that's really important is sort of the laborer's disconnection from the thing that it's ma- that they are making and that they don't feel a part of the thing that they're making at all. Um, and I think that's really interesting because it's not super, super obvious in this episode, but I think like if you're a dork like me, you might read that out of it. And I think it's exacerbated by uh, Gerald's response to him at every point in this episode, except for the very end, essentially. Um, and what I think is funny is that there's Gerald is not like a traditional capitalist. He's like, he doesn't own anything, you know, and there's, uh, a, and he's also nine years old. He's also nine years old. Yeah. Um, but there's a phrase for people like that, which this is like a little bit of a bastardization of this phrase, but it's, uh, called, um, like the petite, uh, bourgeois is what it's called. And it's essentially like craftspeople are in this category, shopkeepers, uh, like small time manufacturers, people that own capital, but they actually have to labor themselves. They're a part mm-hmm. of the process. So they're kind of trapped between two worlds. Mm. They're not part of the proletariat necessarily, but they're also not part of the the uh, the bourgeois. Um, so they sort of go back and forth between. They typically err on the side of the bourgeois because they are often like small landowners themselves. Mm. Um, but what I think is interesting in that is that he sort of Gerald sort of really easily falls into that category and becomes sort of this like bad manager. And into that strange managerial class where he, it's almost as acting if the thing is his own, but it's not. He doesn't have any stake in it. He's actually on the same level as Arnold, which is why I think the petite bourgeois thing is interesting because he's not fully like bourgeois, but he's also not a proletariat, but he sees himself as automatically being bourgeois and does not associate with like the sort of worker laborer at all. Well, and it feels like he, he connects with that more than even Mrs. Vitella does because she yeah. she kind of mentors these two kids and like is very encouraging of them and is happy to give them money like she's not greedy in that regard um whereas Gerald I don't know you you meet like young business people today or like young entrepreneurs and they kind of have that Gerald attitude like d- they don't really care about what they're doing they're just like excited to be an entrepreneur and I think we probably would have seen that a lot um, in our parents' age as well, hmm. like, the, like, like the yuppie. Time. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, and I think it's this is so this 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 difference between mental labor and intellectual labor and physical labor. Hey, Gerald, you're late. I have a ton of stuff for you to do around here. Still busy with the calculator, huh? Wait, I'm just getting started. I bought a copy of Big Business Magazine last night, and it gave me some great ideas. See, the way I figure it, we can double the productivity in this shop. I've taken the liberty of drawing up a business plan. As you can see, I'll handle the most difficult task. Interfacing with the customers, developing a better advertising strategy, designing more colorful aprons. I get to do everything else, like sweeping up and watering all the plants and delivering all the orders. Look, Arna, Miss Vitella put me in charge, okay? And all I'm trying to do is make this place run better. Do you have a problem with that? And in that clip, you can see that Gerald is already saying like that his work is the more important and difficult work and that Arnold's work is like replaceable. There's it's work that anybody can do. Well, and he doesn't say that, but Arnold fills in the blanks. He's saying, oh, so I have to do all the like annoying work, like cleaning up and all that stuff. So he Arnold sees through it right away Mm -hmm. um, that like, oh, like my work is like, is it easier or something? Yeah, it's a it's a nice sarcastic moment that actually says a deeper thing, I think. Definitely. I think the interesting part, though, is it is the easier thing to do if you're doing it the way Gerald wants it to be done. If you're working in a mechanical fashion, it is not as intellectually rigorous 
It is not as um, emotionally rigorous as interfacing with people. Like Gerald uses that phrase. He really <laughs> interfacing with the customers. Yeah, he really <laughs> picks up. Yeah, the like uh, like business one hundred and one terminology. Right, really right. Well. Big business mag. And that's another actually funny thing that I was thinking about is he uses this phrase customer client continuum <laughs> as a way to show the relationship between customer and cl- customers and clients. And what's hilarious about that is that economics and business like world is filled with phrasing like that. Have you been watching Silicon Valley? I oh, I love that show. The, 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 what's the thing with the triangle that they talk about? The, um, oh, I don't, I know what you're talking uh, about. The, like the the oh, it's so good. The it's the it's his business model. Yeah, and and collaboration or cooperation is the yeah. kind of, I don't remember what it was, but it's, it's, ex- watch Silicon Valley. It's amazing. Well, it's that, that, making fun of the same stuff. Similar. And what's funny about that is that that show is full of the specific terminology. Right. And what it does is that that's, there's an, like an inclusive quality or exclusive, sorry, exclusive quality to that. Yeah. It's like you create all this jargon to make it seem like the regular people can't understand this conversation because we they know don't know what we're doing. Yeah, we yeah. don't know why they added the word continuum to, to customer client continuum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's it's hilarious, and I think the critique on that is like pretty on the nose and pretty great. Um, but enough enough of my Marxist ramblings. What do you think, Corey? Less about Marx. <laughs> uh, no, but I that's super interesting, and I. Why thank you. Yes, um, I think I guess the thing that I first came out with, like when I when I first watched, I watched it like a week or two ago, just to like start thinking about it, and I was the thing I thought was, oh, this is what I assumed. I think I've talked about this before, how Hey Arnold gave me actually an education of urban life that I didn't really have because I live in the suburbs. Um, my understanding of flower shops back then, honestly, was this was this flower shop. I, I wouldn't have known what it was because there aren't really a lot of flower shops out here that you like. There's not a neighborhood flower shop. There's like Conroy's and like I this is hilarious. I worked at a flower shop that it was exactly like this. That was managed by an old Lebanese lady. This Vitella is definitely Greek or Italian. Yeah, I know. Like, She's a, Medi- part, a Mediterranean yeah. woman. And it was hilarious. And yeah, she loved the fact that I was Lebanese and always talked about it all the time, which... And you're I, like, I'm only half Lebanese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I let her have it. It was fun. But it was hilarious because watching this made me actually miss that job because what you don't get through this, uh, through a television set is how good a flower shop smells and how cool they are because of so much refrigeration to keep the flowers fresh. It's a cool, low-paying, low-paying job. Well, and But what, it's a really nice job. The... I think the other thing I thought about when I the first time I rewatched this episode was, wait, a a independently owned flower shop in the middle of a poor urban section of a of a giant city can afford to hire two. Forget that they're nine years old. Okay, <laughs> obviously that's against the law, even in 1986. But that they're that she can hire two part time help helpers. That she is not busy enough to do that. No way. And I I realize that part of that is my. 2014 or two, what year is it? 2016 men, sure. 2016 mentality that the independent business is dying because oh, of, you yeah, know yeah. the middle class is dying and that includes yeah. independent flower shops because I've seen so many flower shops uh, in in the suburbs close so I assume it's even worse you know in a in a poor urban area. Um, I don't know. With Bill Clinton deregulation, there might have been no age requirement. You could have been two years old and working at a flower shop. The old. Clinton. So you're not going to vote for Hillary. No, so no, who no. are you going to vote for? <laughs> Jill Stein. For okay, okay, okay. I thought you. Yeah, I'll throw my vote away. I know. Uh, it's fine. Um, politics, guys. Uh, but I. But yeah. So I'm realizing that my. 
what how it was actually written. It was a different time, you know. Of course, yeah, they could hire two people. It probably that was probably the heyday of flower shops, right? Yeah, with thriving uh, small businesses. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Um, yeah, so that's the first thing I thought about. Um, I also, oh, this is the thing we got to talk about. Is uh, you mentioned it offhand when we were, you know, setting this stuff up. Server voice. This episode has server oh. voice. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know what? I Which know I we've already so had so. I know we've had so many clips already, but I'm going to. We're going to play this clip right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand. Don't worry. I'll get on that right away. And I have talked like that to countless um, customers at restaurants I've worked at, at bars I've worked at, where someone someone gets in your face about something that you really don't have any control over, and you just kind of throw in this combination of um, false sincerity and understanding, but then also like a clear, like, I will take care of this. And I love, I mean, in part, it's just fun acting by a nine-year-old kid, you know, behind a microphone. Uh, trying to sound, it, it sounds like a nine-year-old trying to sound like an adult, which is basically what ser- how servers talk all the time, right? No, it's definitely true. I say, I like my, my vocabulary changes. Like I say y'all all the time. Like someone's like, are you from the South? Or folks. Yeah, folks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The whole serving thing is very, very weird because you do realize like you're catering and you're serving somebody. So it's, you feel like you have to like assume the role, which is really like demeaning in a way. No wonder servers have like drinking problems and drug problem it's no it's true it well it's 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 demeaning it depends on the restaurant you work at of course like some are worse than others if you work at a very corporate place that server voice is like yeah uh, it is through the roof and it's um, emotionally draining mm-hmm. like having to do that for like a six or seven hour shift like a rapid fire and like be on and funny all the time when the the dad at the table wants to crack a bad joke you have to have a witty response. <laughs> oh, that is funny, sir. Yeah. Right? Or whatever. Your um, plate's empty and you go, I didn't like it at all. It's like, yeah. oh, oh, I think I get that. Uh, I think I get the but joke. But you ate everything. I get it. Yeah. Oh, so you're, you you did like it, actually, because you, you licked your plate clean with your dirty human mouth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think... Well, the sad part, this is the sad reality. I used to work, I worked for two years at an Italian establishment, a a chain Italian establishment that was not Olive Garden, if that helps you narrow it down to what it was. Uh, And working there, I'll be honest, I talked to friends, to strangers, to family like that, as if I was serving, I mean, in normal. brainwashed, you become brainwashed. I was brainwashed. And it took, it took a while to like drop that completely. But I think, I think this, yeah, this episode has some great server, server lingo, server talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, grandpa's story is great. The port of duty scandal. I know I mentioned that. I love that line. Um, I think that's some good, like, this is the first time that grandpa has given actually good, solid advice, like good. Yeah. Good advice. It's, he doesn't really give the advice, but it's a lot easier to pull from. It's a lot easier for Arnold to pull from. Yeah. It's pretty explicit to the story, what he should do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a roadmap of sorts. Exactly. Oh, port of duty. Yeah. It's great. Uh, and the, the nightmare really is a nightmare. That image of grandpa laughing and then his chin falling off yeah, is horrifying. It's yeah, awful. Yeah, it really is. Awful. And it seems like a little off for Hey Arnold. They normally don't go that route, but it was it makes it enjoyable. I, I think I, I almost feel like the show gets darker as it goes because it kind of grows up. So I think I think they're I mean, the Halloween good, episodes, kind of, not Halloween, the, the goat. What's the ghost episode? The, the, one, the tr- ghost train episode? Oh, yeah, kinda, yeah. That guy's kind of creepy. A little. Carrying like a but accordion. None, his, uh, his body parts stay connected to his body at all times. Sure. That's true. Yeah. Um, oh, wait. So the, the, other, the other episode is... Um, Bio Bioscro- Oh, the first episode... I'm, we got to get better at this. I, I'm sorry to the wonderful writers of the show. Um, Part-Time Friends was written by Joseph Party. 
Um, sorry, Joseph. Yeah, sorry. I'm sure you've written other episodes. Great writer. Thank you, man. Um, Biosquare. What I looked it up and it said Jordana Arkin. Um, it might have been a typo and it meant to be Jordan, but either way, thank you. Maybe it's Jordana. One or the other. Yeah, it could be Arkin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sure it could be Lady a lady. can write I just don't too. know many name people named Jordana. But either yeah. way, thank you, Jordana slash Jordan, yeah. for writing Biosquare. Yeah. Which is just a knockoff of Biodome starring Polly Shore, and <laughs> that's an awful movie. Well, I know it's terrible. It's not like you know. It, this episode is, is nothing. Is not jumps really. better than yeah. this. Uh, it's not. It's not like that movie at all. Um, yeah. So uh, I I do want to give a quick uh, summary, but I think actually the best summary is this hypothesis that Arnold gives at the opening of uh, of the episode. Our science fair hypothesis was: What's the effect of a controlled, ecologically balanced environment? on two scientists working and living together for 24 hours. I called it Biosquare. The point is, all we had to do was get along for 24 hours locked in a greenhouse. Right. But little did we know that harmony would so quickly turn into treachery. Paranoia! And disaster. So what that what that uh, reference was, was Arnold talking about what, um, what their science project is, which, by the way, started with Stinky and Phoebe um, doing a Pavlov's, Pavlov's dog. Uh, experiment, which is a cool like side story that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. So I wanted to throw that in because it's great. Um, but yeah, the, the episode is the two of them going to this greenhouse in the backyard of Arnold's border uh, boarding house. Um, and the whole time, Grandpa and Mr. Kakashka are watching them kind of do their thing. Um, and, you know, Arnold, of course, goes in, uh, you know, doe-eyed, just so excited to like be sciencey. And Helga is going in for the easy A. Uh, so already the moment they walk in, you see them pitted against each other. And that definitely happens throughout the episode where um, Arnold is trying to treat this uh, situation seriously. And Helga really um, doesn't care at all. Um, and so there are numerous situations where they kind of butt heads over and over and over again. And uh, the last straw, and, and we'll go into detail with what those things are. But um, the last straw is a dripping, drippy faucet. Helga kind of rips at it like a like a monster the monster that she is breaks, breaks the, uh, breaks the faucet and floods the greenhouse. And after much, um, conflict and anger towards each other, what finally brings them together, I guess, is disaster. Uh, this, you know, flooding, uh, greenhouse, uh, they come together and they understand each other. And that's goes back to the beginning of the episode, which is when they burst into this, into the classroom, sopping wet. Uh, and they, you know, they, I don't know what do they call that when they like circ like circle back to where the episode started. There's like a certain oh, term I don't for know. that. That's anyway, your it's 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 well, barely. It's an it's a narrative <laughs> structure that it's like framed by the past and future at the same time. Um, yeah, and there are like again a lot of details in that, but I think that's like the general frame of the episode, right? Yeah, definitely is. Yeah, that this is an interesting episode, and um. There's a, a quick reference that uh, Arnold makes to uh, Walden. He says something like, this is our own person, little Walden or something like that. And then uh, Helga doesn't like that reference really at all. And then what's interesting to me about that is that there's a lot of parallels actually between w- the story uh, Walden's Pond and the gr- their greenhouse experience. And so I'm going to go into the weeds a little bit of Walden. So if you've read so the story. To, so to speak, go, so, into, yeah, the go into the weeds. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, much like throw himself. Um, so he, um, <laughs> if you're, if you're wondering, uh, Adam took the pipe out of his mouth I did, yes. and, uh, pushed his glasses up mm-hmm. like throw himself. himself. 
drinks the beer and then continues. Okay, so and then <laughs> we um so what will so okay, so there's there's a few parallels and I really liked that book. That was a book that was sort of uh, exploratory for me. It was it was really good. I like read it and I was like, whoa, this is like speaking to me, which doesn't make sense because I grew up in the suburbs. I never went on a coming of age adventure or like mm-hmm. sort of experience like that. But what was interesting about it is it's like a very critical book. And the whole book, he sort of systematically goes through all parts of life and talks about why they're stupid and then gives you the like alternative route, essentially. And there's way more to the story than that, but that's part of it. Right. And that's what appealed to my young mind at the time. Um, but what's interesting to me about the story and where they parallel actually is the stuff that's like the information behind the story of Walden, which is he, the Walden's pond was a pond on the property owned by uh, Emerson. And there was like a shack next to the, to the pond and which was owned by Emerson. And he doesn't Thoreau doesn't talk about this in the book at all. Um, so he's staying in the shack of Thoreau who he was like tending Thoreau's garden or uh, Emerson's Emerson, yeah, yeah. Emerson's garden after he graduated from Harvard and was tutoring their, his kids every once in a while. He was kind of bumming around essentially. He didn't want to get a job. He was, I think he had a teaching job and he quit it cause he was like bummed out on it. And so he goes to like find himself and to commune with nature in this shack. But what's interesting is that the shack is like a short walk from his parents' house and so when he his clothes get a little soiled, he takes his dirty laundry to his mom's house, which he doesn't mention this in the book at all. And he has his laundry there. He gets a slice of pie, which if you read the book, he has this whole thing about like, there's nothing wrong with like having an empty stomach and feeling the gnaw of hunger every once in a while. And all this sort of like uh, better than thou stuff. That's so wait, he great. He writes this book. It's partially bullshit, but his yeah, observations yeah. are good and dead on. Sure, sure. But he writes this book about being this, like, perfect man out in nature. Yeah, like roughing it. Except he's not, in reality, he's not he, doing that. So he's he re- is and isn't. It's like, so part uh, of it is true. You can't have both. <laughs> you can't no, have no, both. He, he exists in the gray area. Oh, so, so, liminal so, spaces. Okay. We're not talking about post-structural. So, okay? No, we're not. But he, so the shack had very thin walls. It was a shack. And New England is cold as hell. So during the winter, if, when he stayed there, it was very cold. So the, I get it. We are and hot, it's hot it's in the hot winter. Here. It's very hot here, and it's, and, and, and it's hot. And it's hot in the garage. Yeah, but um, or the studio that Hulu gave to us. Um, but my sister, stop it. <laughs> but so before I completely derail this, um, so that's like a, there's a parallel there because, there because Arnold and Helga they enter the greenhouse and they feel like they're sort of like Arnold at least feels like he's communing with nature and he's like in this completely distant, faraway place. When in reality, he's just in his parents or his grandparents' backyard. Much like Thoreau was in the Might backyard well of Emerson been, yeah. and is essentially his parents' backyard as well, or his mother's backyard as well. Um, and they feel like they're alone and independent, but the grandfather is essentially watching over them the whole time. So there's this like idea of independence, but then the reality of not being independent. And then, um, so there's a parallel then. And then another part of the story that parallels with Walden, and then I'll, I swear I'll be done with this. No, 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 no. Is... Go into as much detail. <laughs> I know, seriously, this is really interesting. And then um, there's a chapter later on in the book uh, called Brute Neighbors, and he goes into this really weird meditative story about uh, this war between these black ants, these large black ants, and these small red ants. And in the story, I, th- I believe he's going to get water out of the pond, um, and he sees this black ant, a large black ant, and this red ant, like, fighting each other. And him being him, he decides to sit there and just watch them go at it and battle for a while. And he's 
discovering that the way that they go to war and fight each other is as brutal as that of humans. And we often view animals, or at least some people view animals, as being like uh, a little bit different, like operating on a different level and in a different way. And he's realizing that these animals are just as brutal as humans. And then he lifts up this large piece of bark, and he discovers that beneath the large piece of bark, there's thousands of ants going at war each other. So there's like a whole war zone below him. And he just like is mesmerized by this and meditates over this whole situation. And he writes this beautiful passage about... um, these ants going to war and he takes the ants three of the ants which is on a leaf and he takes it back to his little shack and he puts it under a glass and he just watches with a a microscope Mm. these three ants fight each other to the death and the black ant decapitates the two red ants and then he says like victoriously holds their heads (laughs) as he walks around (laughs) and then he uh the black uh large black ant is still harmed and is missing a leg and he puts it on the windowsill and lets him go do his thing that's kind of where the scene ends but the reason that this is another parallel is there's a scene um in hey arnold in this episode where uh he has one of those ant what are those things called ant farm yeah an ant farm and inside the ant farm there's a red ant and a black ant but in the hey arnold universe the story is completely flipped the ants are not at war with one another they're actually working cooperatively and very very peacefully and they're like holding together like a blade of grass Mm. as they're walking around um so there's like in my mind a few different parallels with the story of walden and i think that there was they definitely had that story in mind when they were doing this episode um and i think what's interesting is that the very end of the episode arnold and helga end up getting to the place essentially that the ants were where they're completely at peace with one another and they're working cooperatively towards the same end which is to get this thing from point a to point b which is what the ants end up doing um so i don't know i think it was like a pretty interesting episode at first i was like oh this is so strange like this is sort of boring and then i realized the walden thing to me like put the pieces together in my mind and made it much more interesting of can, an episode can i ask you a question go for it why do you think uh the writers flipped if flipped the thesis of the ants like to, oh. they took the thesis of what yeah, throw yeah, was yeah. saying and they flipped it i mean like my go-to is that not making it tame for kids but giving kids something to kind of grab onto which is working together um is a positive thing that's yeah. the only thing I can imagine. Yeah, and I think like in storytelling in general, like so you might have an influence of some kind and then um, you use that to your own end. So it's like you get the influence and then you flip it because it mm. suits your purpose, like mm. you said. Like to because to the in in the form of the show, it makes more sense for them to come together. And to be honest, in terms of their sort of narrative, it's actually much more interesting because there's a moment with Helga and Arnold when the door of the uh, greenhouse is blown over by the the water that they had filled it up with through breaking the faucet. And they sort of are on the raft together, or the blow mattress together. Yeah. And they come to a stop where Arnold looks at Helga in this way where he's never in any of the episodes up to this point, looked at her the way that he did in that moment. Yeah. And it's not romantic, but it's this sort of like understanding, understanding, but there's something where he's seeing her in a way he's never seen her before. And I think it's vulnerable because she's completely soaking wet. Her hair is not like how it normally is, like flipped back because it's all wet. They're and scared. You they're know. scared together. Yeah. So they're they're having like a, a unifying moment. Mm. 
where Helga is very hard to unify, have a unifying moment with because she puts up so many walls. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, and in, in, to just jump on that just a little bit, this this is one of the few episodes so far where. So it's a major Helga episode where she's a main character. She's not just like the background person yelling. She's, you know, the episode's focused at least partially on her. And there's no moment where she reveals her love to uh, like, because she's with Arnold the whole time, she doesn't have the safety of, which is, I'm just thinking about this now. Like usually she has a moment to like go be independent for a second and have treat and then do her sort of, she can't do that because she's being watched by Arnold the whole time. So it makes sense that that's the case. And, um, you know, go ahead. Oh no! I wonder if that's the seed of her anger. Like, I wonder if that's the reason she's so mm. angry and tense the whole time. Mm. Because I thought that what you just said when I was watching it. There's a point where she um, would normally have like retreated and then done her whole romantic thing. She doesn't do she it. She doesn't do it. The only moment you see any moment of like connection, like deep connection, is when they're on the raft. You know, when the water pours out and they're breathing hard. Like, oh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And you you kind of see Helga like you know, look at Arnold in a specific way as Arnold's looking at her in a similar way. And that's the first moment that you remember, Oh yeah, Helga loves Arnold. I forgot about that. Cause usually she's reminding you or reminding herself, AKA the audience over and over again. And I think what's interesting about that, that moment as well is that it's almost as if she was always normal and herself that Arnold might be able to reciprocate that feeling. Like you get that, I got that feeling in that one moment and she Mm -hmm. doesn't, she allows that sort of moment to exist. Mm -hmm. She doesn't bat it down when he gives her that look. She carries on the sort of normal, positive experience and interaction all the way through. Even when they're um, presenting in class, they give sort of both a snide back and forth, but it's really mild. It's because they've been unified. Almost playful. Mm. Unlike where normally it's sort of digging. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think as far as their, their story yeah, and I think that actually jumps so jumps to the thing that I was interested in with this episode. So this is um, this episode fits into the style of television called a bottle episode. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it would be some examples would be uh, on Seinfeld. There's an episode called uh, the Chinese restaurant, and the majority of the episode takes place in the waiting room of a Chinese restaurant. Uh, the entire episode takes place there. Or there's an episode of Homicide Life on the Street that's all in. Uh, one um, interrogation room. The entire hour is in, in the same interrogation room. And uh, almost bra- the the most contemporary one would be Breaking Bad. There's an episode called The Fly where it takes place in uh, the meth lab underneath a laundry facility. So th- this is like a common trope for a lot of um, different TV shows. Uh, and and with live TV, the, re- the, the primary reason it's done is for practical financial reasons. They're trying to save money, uh, not pay as many actors, um, not pay as many extras, and then also... Um, kind of keep the keep the travel budget to just one or two locations, but there's a lot of uh, theory behind it, and I I like the internet is hard, guys. <laughs> you think you know what you want to look for? I like typed in critical theory bottle room episode or bottle episode, uh, you know, bottle episode, uh, you know, I- ideas or philosophies, and it took me so long, but I finally found a great article, um, and it is called. Uh, Natural Theoretical Aesthetic of Bottle Episodes, and it's by Ted uh, Nanacelli. Uh, we'll leave, an, we'll leave a, an article to that as well um, when we up, up, update the podcast, uh, update the uh, website. Uh, but he, he talks about a lot of the um, 
kind of theories behind bottle episodes aside from the financial purposes, because for example, in an episode like Hey Arnold or any other kind of cartoon, it's less about the financial reasons and it's more of a thematic idea. And you can actually pull thematic ideas from, uh, from the live action ones as well. And his argument is that what bottle episodes do is because it's a limited space, it ends up being less about um, plot and more about characterization. And and because of the lack of plot and the lack of location to, um, to distract the characters, it not only forces the viewer to look at the characters in a very specific way, it also forces the characters to reveal their, um, sometimes reveal their needs, reveal their, what, what drives them, or sometimes what, because all the characters are in the same place, they're all kind of going for the same goal. And so it brings characters together in new ways that you wouldn't have expected. And that's absolutely what's happening this, in this episode. Um, the other thing is there's usually only one, maybe two plots, if that. And in this, the plot is just, let's see I mean, it's the hypothesis at the beginning of the episode. Let's see what happens. Uh, can can two people cooperate? That's the that's kind of the goal. Are these two people going to co- cooperate? And after kind of nothing, I mean, nothing really happens in this episode until um, that moment of disaster. And that's what brings the two of them together. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in that regard that even connects to the Walden stuff, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Especially the word naturalist or whatever you said. At the beginning. Right, right. Um, there's some cool quotes from here that I think maybe it could spark some conversation. Um, uh, one quote is in bottle episodes, the intimacy created by the confinement of just a few characters in constricted spaces lays the foundation for an exploration of character psychology, which is definitely happening in this episode. Uh, the other one is naturalism is concerned with moving away from contemporary contemporaneous approaches to characterization in terms of types in favor of drawing psychologically complex character individuals as they quote really are. No, that's fascinating actually, because that's sort of a naturalist perspective in another with another definition or in say the Thoreau sense is that like you go to commune with nature as he wanted to, to become like more in tune with yourself. Yes. Yes. To not have the distractions of the world and be able to look inwardly and discover things about yourself that um, otherwise you would not have been able to discover because, and you, you think about this in our own lives, we're like surrounded by distraction. And I think most of us, if we had went to a place like Walden or like that, the greenhouse or whatever they're in the bio square as Arnold calls it, um, we might go. A I just got mad. that joke because it's a greenhouse, which is square. It's not a yeah. dome. Most of them are called biodomes, but yeah, not this one. Got it. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, it's okay. Um, but I think a lot of us would have maybe a Helga moment where we would have not as many luxuries and comforts, and we wouldn't have distractions, and it would drive some of us crazy, and other ones of us would flourish and see the beauty in it, like Arnold does, and that it's like an experience to be relished and enjoyed. Well, in both situations, for both of them, and in, and in a lot of bottle episodes as well of other shows. There comes a moment of bre- like a breaking point, which um, then forces them to become vulnerable in this small space. There's no place for them to go hide away or go process it somewhere else. They're forced to break in front of each other. And then that lets their guard down, which allows you to see, I guess, first you see like them at their worst, followed shortly by them at their best. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the idea of stripping away the comforts of the mm-hmm. world is, right, is right. you have to feel the discomfort in order to break through 
and sort of learn, gain something new or learn something new about yourself yeah, or the universe or whatever you're trying to learn about. It's fascinating because these two different conversations of what naturalism is kind of meet together in this episode. Yeah. That's uh, It th- makes sense they say share the same word. Yeah, I different think that's, context. that's like a pretty um, thoughtful... Uh, it was a thoughtful decision to have this episode located in just one place for that reason. Oh no! Whether totally. they meant to do it or not, it 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 makes it makes the stuff it makes the thematic stuff rise to the top even more because it's all in one location or like one location plus the classroom. I, I think and it's fascinating based on what you just said. I think this is actually one of the most complex episodes, mm. while simultaneously the simplest in the sense that there's really only two main characters. It's about all episodes, so it's only basically in the same space yeah. besides the classroom bits at the beginning and the end. Um, and mm. there's not a lot of humor in it. it. There's not a lot of things to distract from the main point. Um, Which And it's really emotionally mm. deep. That connection, I, I know we already talked about it, but the connection between Arnold and Helga at the end is like heavy in terms of like almost ending a first season off that sort of. This right, is the second right. to last episode. And so to have that sort of breakthrough between the two of them mm-hmm. is yeah. kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. These are two. And, and I think this, I think it's the same with the Gerald and Arnold episode is they're, they're confronting their friendship in a way that they haven't had to confront it before. Um, so both of these episodes are, are Arnold heavy, but they also give a lot of time to both Gerald and Helga um, to kind of discover them almost like from a different, uh, in a different because Gerald's the cool kid, and he's he's actually very um, loose and groovy, right? Like he's not he's yeah. not uptight until he gets power. So what does that mean for yeah, his character? Yeah, definitely. Um, and then Helga, when she's not alone, Helga Helga is the kind of person, and I think everyone goes through this at some point in their life, who hates being alone and loves being alone at the same time. Yes. Someone who's going to complain, you know, like oh, like no, like nobody understands me, but you would have it no other way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah and, definitely. And what what this episode does is it takes that kind of character and puts her in close proximity, vulnerably, with another person. Yeah. Um, which again brings her to that breaking point, and then knocks down a couple of those walls on accident. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, yeah. I think this is a really good episode. It's probably one of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. It's a good set, a good setup there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we keep talking about it, but maybe we jump to the uh, cry of the week. Uh, yeah, just well, this is like just a personal note. I, it's a funny, dumb experience, but when it's they don't talk about this at all, which I think is really interesting, is that Helga's in love with Arnold, so you feel like she'd be kind of excited to have this like alone right, time with him. Right. But they never go into that never. part at all. Yeah. And I remember when I was in seventh grade, I think uh, I was a group project. There was three of us: mm-hmm. another male friend of mine, and then a girl friend of mine that I had a crush on. Sure. Her name was Ashton. She now has a husband and a kid, I think. Great, great lady when I talked to her 10 years ago. But I had such a big crush on her and we had to do a project and we had to like stage a scene and take pictures of it from a book that we were reading. I don't really remember what book it was and then bring it to the classroom. Sure. Us as kids, wild kids, she, we wanted, I was a bit of an opportunist and she lived like in the canyon and had like horses and open space in a back house. And I was like, we should go stay in your back house and do the project there and stay the night there. And it was so I was Stay so manipulative. Yeah, it was awful. And I was so excited for us all to be having a slumber party, you know? What, but, did, the, what did the third guy think? He was fine. We all had fun. It was not like any... There was nothing... It was... We were kids. We were really kids. How, how old were you guys? We were in seventh grade. Okay. 
But I just remember like having a similar experience, like being in this closed space, working on a school project, like in weird times of the night, you know, and in the morning and all sorts of stuff like that. But like really being excited to have like that sort mm-hmm. of intimate sort of like spatial thing going on, you yeah. know, where we're inhabiting the same space. Oh, my God. You know, it's not the classroom anymore. But it was stupid. But yeah, I, sh- I that idea was running through my head or thought was no, running through my head. I mean, I th- like it. It's a fascinating choice for the writers because they to ignore that part I think but that's what but I was thinking about you know like, what it is relating to my own life by ignoring it uh in the foreground it's actually even stronger in the subtext totally and totally, and, and you're, totally. you're reminded of it it makes that look even more powerful yes it does um and it makes you rethink what you've just seen like yeah, oh, yeah. that's right she like loves him and hates him. Yeah. You, all, yeah. you kind of forget about that because she's cooped up in this place. Well, and, it's so intense. Everything is. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it makes sense. And she's just a grumpy person anyway, but yeah. that, yeah, I think the subtext, it makes it lift up to the top on accident. It gives more. it more weight. Yes. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a well-written episode that doesn't really have, even though nothing happens, um, there isn't a moment, there isn't a dead moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like Arnold writing in his diary and like, continually looking at Helga and she's like, stop looking at me. Like it's a, it's a, and having grandpa and Mr. Kakashka watching from outside. Yeah. That's also like, I mean, there, there's plenty of voyeuristic theories we could bring yeah, in with yeah. that too. Um, that, that when you're like this naturalist transcendental, uh, movement, uh, you're doing it knowing full well that people are seeing what you're doing. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a pious mentality. It is. Um, yeah. th- and that's the criticism of it is like, why are you really doing this? Are you doing yeah, it because yeah. you believe in um, uh, the being one with nature and you, you want to sustain nature, which are uh, honorable things, or are you doing it you know, because you want people to see the solar panels on your roof? Well, that's the fast. Okay. Sorry to go back to the wall. No, thing. no. Keep it the, coming, the, bro. The, the, keep <laughs> it. You, keep, people are paying good money to listen to this. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the fascinating thing about the Walden uh, parallel is... Thoreau was an environmentalist when you didn't have to be an environmentalist. You're like surrounded (laughs) by everything. There's plenty of fresh water. The air quality is fantastic. There's like trees for like lumber and everything around. There's no like environmental issues. And yet he's worried about it. Yes. At his core. The industrial revolution was good at this point. It hadn't turned bad yet. It was like, uh, it was like the, the, the cotton mill and like, (laughs) like the telegram, like amazing things that didn't have any kind of repercussion at all. I believe if I'm correct, time frame wise, Marx had just become a socialist. Like this is before Marxism like came to be. And he's already worried about like how our, how progress essentially is going to impact the natural world. The civil war hadn't happened yet. Like there's so many huge, um, uh, like negative things about the modern era that hadn't happened yet. Yeah. I don't want to trash talk, uh, Thoreau because he sort of lied in his book. Like he was an abolitionist, which is tight. Pretty he, tight, yeah. Yeah, he was also um, studied and documented in Native Americans at the time mm. in an unbigoted way, which is really awesome. So he didn't view them as savages. He, like, viewed them for what they were, which yeah. was, like, different than him and, like, beautiful and wonderful. And uh, so he had, like, and he was environmentalist. He didn't pay taxes because of um, their, because of slavery and because of the Spanish-American War. Like, there was all these different things. Like, he was a badass at the time, but then he lied about the Walton thing and was probably kind of yeah. an asshole. Yeah. But, yeah. He was pretty tight, also. Yeah, I love that. And then the episode ends with, like, a little jab at um, uh, the the bell system 
in uh, schools how the bell rings, the teacher goes, oh, time to go, which is like her like running gag. Like she does not want to be there. Uh, and then Stinky goes, I heard the bell. I want my Mr. Nutty Bar. Like the whole Pavlov's dog thing. So it even ends with like, the episode ends with a jab. A little nod, yeah. Yeah, like a jab to the, like a, um, because the bells were made for schools to re- reflect factory work. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, really? You learn something new every day. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. It really makes to sense. To train kids. Because because bells probably were only since, you know, probably the, like well. In that, like used in that fashion. Yeah. I think so. Like they, they had a different kind of bell with like the schoolyard in like yeah, the 1800s. Yeah. It was like a literal bell that they rang. Like soups on kind of you know like lunchtime yeah. kind of bell but this is like a systematic a sort systematic of like every time obsessed exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah um fascinating yeah it make and it makes it, it, it it's a whole separate separate conversation that takes place in one minute before the at the beginning of the episode and one minute at the end and it's like yeah, a yeah, whole yeah. nother oh, it's a can of worms that they just they just barely touch Drop on a little in. bit yeah this is a really good job craig i know i give you crap sometimes but this is a good one Adam, uh, I'm a fan of yours. Thank you. Just keep saying it. Uh, okay, cry of the week, and then yeah. we have a couple things to say. But cry of the week. Let's hear it. So my cry. These are tears of joy. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. Is when um, Arnold quits his job, essentially goes on strike, and the whole flower operation burns to the ground. I fucking loved that because it was like that. That shows you. The problem with like Gerald's mentality of like, I'm doing the important work. When if the other person in this relationship, mm-hmm. economic relationship mm-hmm. leaves, you have nothing. He had customers like banging down the door, like rioting essentially yeah, for their flowers. Yeah. And he was uh, of no use because he didn't have his comrade. Right. Oh, yeah, there we go. Refer- doing Russian reference. Yeah, Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Good. So how many, how many tears of joy? Five. Full cry. Because I like that. You, joy. Of joy. Of joy. Of joy. Always I made so. Happy. It made me happy. All right. Great. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the sappy part, I'm like too sappy to That's jump fine. into that. So mine is, um, it's, it's when they're on the raft and they're like breathing hard. And then, uh, Arnold says, are you okay? And she says, I think so. The way her voice says it is so, it's like vulnerable. It's like mm-hmm. the, uh, she's it's a rare Helga moment. Yeah. It's, it's not, uh, I'm fine. Or like, uh, like a, it's not even a googly eyed. I'm fine. It's yeah. not, she's not in no. love. She's not. It was I, real. It was very vulnerable. Human. And it's like at the end of her saying that you get a little bit of romance, but, but it mostly is a healthy this, dosage though. Oh, unlike her normal, so like obsessive it's, thing. It's good. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, not it's obsessive. Like it's real. It's truly romantic. It, yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, it's giving me like goosebumps right now. Yeah. So I guess like, I guess if we could all have that in our own lives. If only, yeah. If only I could ride a raft <laughs> in a greenhouse flooding, a crappy greenhouse flooding. Um, yeah, I guess it gives me three cries out of yeah, five. Yeah, that's good. Is, is that's it five? Good. Wait, are we four or five? I don't know. Five. We're tonight. We're doing five. Three out of five. Um, yeah. Well, these are great episodes. Um, yeah, thank by you the, for listening. By the way, we should have said this at the beginning. Uh, Hulu Plus is where you can find um, this show. If you don't know that already, then just stop. Yeah. Oh yeah. Borrow it from a friend. Pay for it. Whatever you got to do. Yeah. Or it's also yeah. You can get it. You can buy it at like Walmart or. Amazon.com Not or whatever. Walmart or Amazon. Like your local movie shop. Your local independent yeah, 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 flower yeah. movie flower slash movie yeah, yeah. shop. Um <laughs> yeah, so we we have one more episode left in this season, uh, which is a doozy. Um it is uh, the Christmas episode, which is a beautiful gosh, do you remember it at all or not really? Nope. Get get ready, my Fresh friend. Fresh eyes, yeah, I'm excited. Fresh eyes. It's a it's a very beautiful episode. Um 
So please watch it. Hey, it's Christmas in July. That's the, that's going to be the cool part. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like 110 in Southern California, yeah. and we'll be doing the Christmas episode. Yeah. Uh, but we're purists, so we're going to go according go to production forward. order. Um, and then we're taking a sabbatical after that. Yeah. And the reason we want to kind of give you a preview for that, and we'll probably talk about it more next episode. Um, next episode, hopefully, is going to be kind of a preview of what to expect for the next season. Uh, we want to take a good amount of time to look at the at season two overall and start thinking ahead when it comes to themes and ideas. Um, you know, we we have a couple ideas for possibly interviews and for structure structure yeah. changes and getting yeah more people's voices in here rather than these two silky beautiful voices. Sure. Right here. Yeah. So um, we want to take a couple months to be able to really up production again. We up. Uh, up production halfway through this season and added some clips and added a little bit yeah, we more did some stuff. Yeah. So we just want to keep, we want to keep part of this project for us is, um, you Improving, know, to, growing. Impr- yeah, growing in our creative uh, outlet. And so the, the next step for us is to really look ahead at season two and see what we can do. But season two, the comedy jumps up. I think it's a, I think it's a great season. Um, and we, we really thank you guys for listening. I know, we beg you guys for comments and emails and stuff, which we only do that because we're really thankful if you are listening that you actually do listen. Yeah, and we and it, it it's helpful for us and it helps other people um, revisit Hey Arnold. Uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of people who uh, are shocked at how much thought is in this is in Hey Arnold, and they've revisited it in new ways, which is cool. Yeah. And it kind of helps us figure out like what we should change, what we like. Uh, just get input is good. It's yeah. very very helpful. So yeah, I, we're, and this is it's all, in all sincerity. Please rate and review us. It, Send it to friends. Do whatever you want to do. Yeah, anything you can. Put it on Facebook. Whatever. If you have like a friend that like likes cartoons, Marxist theory, <laughs> and like like literary like theory, stru- post structuralism, yeah, sure. paintings, like all of those whatever. Things, yeah. yeah, all of those things. Send it their way. Yeah. There's probably like one person <laughs> you know like that yeah i think it's us I yeah think we're just the, the only two <laughs> anyway us so the cricket in this garage yeah really love man it's like a standing ovation in here with those yeah, crickets it is. um yeah so um the next episode will be in two weeks and then after that expect two or three months we're, we're gonna try to do some updates as we can but no promises there um yeah, definitely no promises but no full episodes for a few months uh so please like keep keep subscribed to us. You well, can... not in a few months. We have one more episode to go, and then we're going and on then a couple months. Yes, yeah. to make a better episode, better yeah, show better for you. Show. Do you say paid leave? Yeah, yeah. No, we don't. We're not. Yeah, unpaid leave. Yeah, because Clinton's gonna be the president. No paid leave for us. That silence I did is it. just. I, did it. Uh, yeah. I went there. Yeah, political. All right. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> tuning in. Yeah. Uh, see you next week uh, for some Merry Christmas. All right. Yep. Christmas in. July. Bye-bye. Hey, Gerald, you're going to play with the rest of these losers, aren't you? Gerald can't play because Gerald is too busy being the boss. I don't know what Arnold's talking about. He's probably just jealous because I'm the boss.